My love is in America. All the outside morning noises that start my day are busy, busy noise. They're going to work. Trains are heading to Crewe and on further north from there. Others south to London. Commuters for London are already ready. Coffee in hand, laptop ready, phone charged and ready for the city. Same place daily on the platform. Secure. The Birmingham trains are every 15 minutes for a 30-minute trip to school, college, office and to the high streets. Local traffic, the school run begins, the hauliers are heading for A-roads and motorways, then the occasional emergency service to an accident, an incident for the hospitals. Morning has broken, different, very different as a boy, different scene, west of Ireland, a village, little noise, few, if any, if any commuters at all. The first postman is already there before the 6.30 mail van from Sligo. Paddy, ready to help unload the van and drag mailbags in to my mother. I might hear the big bar being lifted off the double shop door. Then there was the morning chat, the weather, the neighbour's health. In the colder months, fires were laid and lit in the sorting office and the kitchen. More postmen arrive, mail sorted, careful attention to the registered letters. No need to call me, as I have already arrived in the kitchen, already ready for altar boy duties. The local church is almost the first introduction to America, with the stained glass windows naming the benefactors, their town land and their state in America. All the names are neighbours' names, and soon, gradually, all the American place names would become familiar references, destinations. Who didn't have family in the Bronx or in Brooklyn? The lull between the post on the road to Tullycooley, Tullinascrina, Lugnishkeehan and all the other townlands and the post office opening was filled with a fry and hair combing and off. She had walked me to school when I was an infant and in her teens, sort of a young woman, eh, only sort of, a teenager really, took a road well-travelled to New York. I remember the going away party, the American wake, and I was too young to understand why there were tears, lots, at a party. Although I felt guilty that I was enjoying playing around when family were crying. Lots of red lemonade, whiskey and porter for others. Home from school and in and out of the house, usually through the post office. I never knew where one began and the other ended. Letters received from America were different to the usual. They were more colourful. They were often blue. Lovely line years later in a song where he says to his son in America, thank you for sending me the photos of your children, lovely young women and men. And the letters had lovely photos of lovely young women and men, our cousins in America. I was reading an article on Leitrim population, often largely a story of emigration. He talks of chain migration, a line of contacts in the new country to help the newly arrived. 
I heard it recited frequently in our own case, in our own family's move to America. A neighbour, Frank, went first. Frank was a chef in a prestigious hotel in New York. As he was friends with my Uncle Josie, so he sent money for him for his passage. Civil war was over, no prospects at home, so off to the States. He, Josie, in turn sent money to his brother James, who in turn sent for... Sometimes it changes from sent money to to sent for. Sent for McGovern, a neighbour, who in turn sent for his close neighbour, my mother's cousin, James McDaniel. Yeah, that was 1927. New homes, many to the NYPD. McDaniel, a tailor, successful business. They left behind a shared well where the three townlands, Fawn, Conahal and Coretta, meet. It remained a fixed reference for one of the more successful arrivals. It was an image of the old country. After years of settling and enjoying business success, when asked, would he go back to live in Ireland, McDaniel would say in his well-cut suit, ha, wouldn't I look good dragging water from the well? But some did return. My godfather had had enough of America as he had endured some of the hardships of the Great Depression, from unemployment to soup queues, and standing for hours in soup queues had a significant impact on him. He returned to Ireland and became the local social welfare officer. The daily ritual didn't vary very much. Pebbles to the window at 6.30 to signal the arrival of the post van. Now I know that busy cities and towns have a fairly early start for commuters and markets and transport systems, but a 6.30 start for mail in a Leitrim village was at odds with the lack of industrial readiness locally. Getting there, getting to America cost. This was before the Ryanair, EasyJet, cheap travel era. One neighbour told me how his father had sold a cow and a calf at the fair. He pointed to the spot on the corner of the back line where the deal was done. Hands were shook on the deal. This was to be his sister's fair to get her to the States. A relief postman. One of the regulars has booked time off. They had a party the night before, tunes, drink and tears at yet another American wake. The local cab took them to Sligo for the bus to Shannon via Galway. Oh, sad farewells. But now the flight from Shannon instead of sailing from Cove seemed easier. And to have a special relationship that cleared immigration at Shannon to have a job and opportunities waiting, to have money and prospects, to know family and friends there already, a sort of home from home, soften the blow. As this was commonplace among neighbours and friends and had been for generations, it made it seem not only normal but expected. And now one of our own as POTUS, President, there he is in the kitchen, in a framed picture between two popes, between Paul VI and John XXIII, 
you, you felt you knew him. There was lots of similar, familiar names in the political, military news. There was the Kelly General, the O'Rourke politician, O'Neill, chief of police. And now, oh, a virtual royal family, an acceptable royal, one of our own. England and Scotland were nearer, they were easier, much the same, apparently, but Saturday was confusing. Before the Lone Ranger came on the telly on Saturday in a neighbour's house, the football results. Hamilton Academicals 2, Queen of the South 1, QPR 2, WBA 3. Translate. The parcels arrived not only at Christmas, but throughout the year. Oh, my delight was to be up to date and to have clothes that looked like the American characters on the telly. One parcel had a leather jacket, a Jets leather jacket, which had the look of West Side Story about it. Looking either fantastic or ridiculously out of place is the teenager of any area in any era. And then the great joy, a letter saying they were coming for a visit. Shannon, the tourist trail, the hotel in Sligo, and they had done well and what joy. But sadly only the few and only occasionally, only once, if at all, for some families. Still, there are the photos by the police wagon in uniform, police and now army, weddings and Arlington Cemetery. A few returned intended to live here again, to stay. They had enough in earnings, the stock exchange and property, to live full-time in a hotel. Formal, suit, quiet man, quiet life, short strolls. This was holidaying, living at home, sort of the new long-term staycation. No sign of him joining the women in the meadow making hay. <laughs> no, not maybe, but definitely he had come back to Ireland to stay. A few years passed, and his stay was suddenly over. Dramatic definition or explanation that it was, it was because of nine months of winter and three months of bad weather. So there you are, better weather over there. He had forgotten. Why not retire to a condo or a hotel in Florida? Nine months of sunshine and three of scorching heat. Just the name, the Sunshine State, had its attraction. But no women in any meadow making hay. The Taoiseach had an image of comely maidens dancing at the crossroads. Well, some, yes. But no jobs then for any musicians playing jigs and reels, sets and barn dances. Although... The chief of police in Chicago was a piper and collector and benefactor of the Buttons and Bows Brigade. One way to ensure employment in the Chicago police was to have a fiddle or pipes that you could play. True. Some had the acumen, the business acumen, to provide the dances in New York. 
Kaylee dancing in New York cemented the two-way flow which was coined bringing it all back home and this had a firm footing for generations in Irish America. One of our neighbours, Vincent Harrison from Tullycooley, prominent fiddler among them, and a relative of ours was up there with the most influential of them. They were neighbours, near neighbours in New York, and they played lots of tunes in each other's apartments. A hornpipe off to California to warm up, followed by a reel, My Love is in America. That gifted neighbour was a gifted fiddler, way up there with the best of them, and great friends in New York with my brother and sisters, well, half-brother and half-sister, although I dislike that term, their cousin, Lad O'Byrne, acknowledged by all the Mad for a Tune Brigade as one of the greats. Maybe there are some more recordings of Vincent Harrison and Lad O'Byrne as they played the jigs and reels of home in their New York apartments. <gasps> if there are, I'd love to hear them. There was opportunity in the land of opportunity. No dragon water from the well. Early risers, many much earlier than the post van at 6.30. Ah, you got used to it, and you didn't have to run as fast as everyone else if you didn't want to, said the fiddler. The local industry continued at a leisurely, well, actually a, a very slow pace. Milk was taken by ass and cart, or pony and cart, or for the few, by tractor and trailer. Milk destined for calastinate creamery to make butter and the remainder for feeding calves. A morning's activity, maybe half a day. Time to watch and wonder at the local industry and wonder as a boy where would any of us be as adults. The haemorrhage of emigration was such a prevalent presence that it was always an option. It was just in the vernacular. A son in Canada, a brother in Texas, a neighbour back from Birmingham, an uncle in Blackburn, oh, visitors home, the Yanks. And so the wandering continued. What to do, to go, to stay, and when? One image was fascinating and had a real pull. The lunch break picture, photo, now poster, on a skyscraper in New York, with the men casually sitting on a steel beam high in the air. One detail always fascinated me, that one of the men had a bottle, just like those common in the hayfields in the 50s and 60s. But a few frights on ladders confirmed my poor head for heights. So, no go the steelworks, or the skyscraper, or no to being a steeplejacker then. Maybe a tradesman, as I had heard of shuttering carpenters and finishing carpenters, and occasionally of the few shipbuilders carpenters from Belfast, who had to get their work accurate to within one sixteenth of an inch. <laughs> but one very image of my kind and humorous aunt who watched my attempt with a toy carpentry set, oh, her indulgent joy at my messy awkwardness was enough to tell me that that route, as a carpenter, was too difficult for me. Should I or would I go to an aunt in Cape Town? I know, politically too objectionable. 
or to an uncle in Melbourne, maybe. A neighbour's son was fated in the press as he raced up through the New York police ranks. All the way, in fact. Well, there were options. That the lodge was sold again was the news of the area, and to an American this time. Where's he from? Uh, and, and, and where's his family originally from, was often asked. And it was assumed that he or his family had some connection. They were some local family originally. They were now sort of coming home. Maybe. But all that was known was that he was from Tennessee, a lawyer, a famous civil rights lawyer. And this was his leisure. Some fishing, the countryside, a break from frontline defence of civil rights leaders. Part of his leisure was taking the pony and trap out for a spin. Then, those days, the roads were quiet enough. They were very quiet, in fact. Daughter and a friend were out for a spin. But there was a breakdown. Something like a wheel broke or an axle gave way and the trap was left on the low road down by Leonard's house. No one was hurt. To help, a group of young lads, myself included, ran the mile or so to retrieve the trap and return it to the lodge. I broke off the final part of the journey to go in home, probably because I was called in, because food was on the table. The following day I learned that the four others in the retrieval group, the Search and Rescue Brigade, had each received a handsome reward of two and six, a half crown or twelve pence, and were thanked by the boss. What to do? I too felt entitled, even though I hadn't made the journey whole and not been there at the handing over ceremony. There was nothing to do but go and ask, to appeal, to present my case in front of the great jurist. Arguments assembled, courage summoned, and without seeking permission for what was cheeky, I went to the big house, rang the bell and waited. Oh, I then wanted to change my mind and just run away, but there he was. He seemed like a huge man well built. It was clear that I had disturbed him from reading as he had carried a large ledger type notebook marked MLK. First he looked over his glasses and then took them off to see this youngster and ask how he could help. Uh, I wasn't able to tell if I would sound cheeky so I said so. Uh, uh, please don't think that I, I'm being cheeky, I said and went on to explain my role in the retrieval of the trap. He thanked me. Ah, that itself. And then the argument that we all did our bit and that it needed a joint effort. He seemed to indulge me by saying, oh, I see. And that therefore I said that I too should be... Oh, thankfully, he finished the request by saying the word rewarded. The labourer is worthy of his hire, he said. But while... The half-crown that he gave me was greatly appreciated. What he said pleased and shocked me. That I was right to stand up for my rights and that I was not to forget that. He seemed, in a kindly way, to be amused. Not alone did he represent civil rights activists, but he also represented Martin Luther King, MLK. The drama had unfolded in three acts, the accident, the news and the official search and rescue come retrieval team. 
then the recovery and return of the trap, and then the cheeky or righteous meeting with the jurist and his affirmation of rights. Oh, drama. Later, another American came to live locally near the village. She lived by a lake under the shadow of Benbow. The family were from Theatre's Hall of Fame in the First Division. Her husband, then ex, had appeared on Broadway for decades. A regular in films, tested for a role in Gone with the Wind. And she was a journalist and spoke of time spent with the great writer, Liam O'Flaherty. Didn't settle and sent postcards from her new home by Lake Geneva. Years later, an American opera singer and her husband, coincidentally another jurist, came for a few years and ran a small hotel near the well where the three townlands meet. Shame that the drama of opera didn't take off. Too little is said about the joy, the wonder and sheer impact of the rural love affair with drama and drama competitions. My first taste was in a competition in the Thaivyark in Galway in a play translated into Irish by Antahar Lawan. I was hooked. Then a part in a John B. Cain play, hugely popular and an astute observer of rural ways. Equally popular was Brian Freel. He dug deep into the confusion as the lead character planned his emigration to the US in Philadelphia, Here I Come, why packed houses and a long run in Dublin and New York, yet flopped after a few weeks in London? One observer suggested that to the English audience this was a logical decision to leave, so why dither? Yeah. Why indeed? The answer might be in the Irish songbook. Many of the songs have the wistful hope of returning as their DNA. And for all his fine powers is wishful like me to be back where the mountains of morn sweep down to the sea. Or, it's all of heaven, I'll ask, my soul to soar for evermore above you, Galway Bay. That's it, lonely leaving and unsettled once there and wanting to be home in Inish Free throughout the Irish songbook. Nothing or no song compares to I'll take you home again, Kathleen, for the sheer emotional pull of home to where your heart will feel no pain. But the confusion of will he, won't he go, was poor competition compared with the economic pull. And still they left. Some for Glasgow, others London and Birmingham. But the pull of the States was constant. And Two-way letters. But hope, hope of a better life. T'was to better himself he was leaving. And encouraging comments in the letters to save up and come home soon. And with their economic improvement came significantly generous or very generous emigrants' remittances, making a huge contribution to families back home and to the state. One man left for the States in unique circumstances. He was deported. The only man then to be deported from Ireland was from Leitrim. Oh, the irony of it.
with the worst emigration in the country to be the only person deported. Why? Well, the simple answer might be the music. The film, Jimmy's Hall, tries to answer the question. He built a community hall playing modern music, jazz. But the local priest felt that the church hall and traditional music was threatened. A campaign against the communist jazz-playing Jimmy Grelton led to his deportation. Ah, but we've moved on. Country and Western, or Irish country, was the choice for many for decades. One Irish radio programme only played Frank Sinatra. And I remember debates about the genius of Hendrix as a lad. Elvis was king, is. The song from Galway to Graceland to be with the king looks at that love affair, that adoration. Then the Irish rock stars were equally successful on both sides of the pond. Gallagher, Thin Lizzy, U2. The Pogue songbook ranges from the drinking to the Republican to the sharp reminder of the potential loneliness of it all. Where the wind blows right through you, it's no place for the old. Ooh. Fairy tale in New York is a huge success, a party piece of the non-sentimental. First, there was the journey to Cove and then 11 days at sea. Stop at Halifax in Canada and from there to New York. 11 days. To think of that as a return journey to visit family and friends must have put many off. <laughs> so much for the strap line that the next parish is America. A different type of parish. From 11 days at sea 60 years ago to a six hour flight today, breakfast in New York, dinner in Leitrim, and the flight schedules to and from Dublin reflect this to and fro. Then it happened. People started coming back, not just for one big visit. It began with the quicker and then the cheaper flights. No longer the long sail back to Cove and then on, but direct flights to Shannon. Priests on biannual holidays to their home place, family reunions, second generations looking for family roots, cine films. Now something new, US colleges offering scholarships. Good local runners getting their training and degree in America. And then soon, the new Irish economy had US factories throughout the country with management from both sides of the pond. Students spending summers working in the States. Horses in the prestigious US races, stud farms here and there, increasingly elements of a more integrated economy. Then came the call for entertainers and a new supply line opened up with, for example, Irish bands on tour statewide. And with the property boom, buying Florida condos became a huge draw for some. Others holidayed in Vegas or Florida. The county organisations invited Irish footballers to annual dinners and kept closely in touch. New York play in the Connacht division of the county championships. An opportunity, another opportunity to see family and friends. But the really significant influence was that of the diplomats, ensuring that generations of Irish in America had a political influence in Northern Ireland an influence that the British had to acknowledge. The peace process owes much to that Irish-American involvement. 
A constant theme is the beauty of the area, lovely Leitrim. It's a tourist area with few tourists. Best kept secret. Lovely scenery by common consent, but you often hear this, you can't eat scenery. Little comfort facing the reality of family costs, bills, mortgages and so on. Poor land, little industry. Story of emigration. A popular phrase is that there are only two things that are certain, death and taxes, but that changes in the west of Ireland to death in America. For Leitrim, the figures speak for themselves. A population in 1841 of 155,000 to oh, about 30,000 today. No family, no townland, no areas exempt. In fact, whole townlands left. John Healy from Mayo and backbencher in the Irish Times had this analysis of the state, that while the north-south divide was there, another divide was that of east and west. His point was that the west had been overlooked in the economic development for decades, while the east, especially the greater Dublin area, was where the economic development flourished, and with it, jobs. Neglect, he argued, had underpinned the continuing hemorrhage of emigration, and no one shouted stop. The relationship of the two states, of the two peoples, is complex, and you have the uh, shamrock bearing, visiting Taoiseach at the St. Patrick's Day Parade, the Waterford glass bowl of shamrock, yeah, that's there, but that's not all. We know the cop on the beat. We know the local neighbour's son, now a fireman, rushing to the burning Twin Towers. The priest in his parish. The artist, another close neighbour, with another exhibition. The horsemen in Central Park. The business owner. From the desk of to the bar of. Decorated soldiers, airmen, women. Dancers in river dance. Teacher man, Bono. A neighbour's uncle had sent for my uncle almost a century ago. Ah, oh, he's been in the States for a lifetime now. There's others who manage the tourists in their horse and carriage around Central Park. And then I met her on the train in the early 1970s, back to Sligo from Dublin. She and the Donegal group had been to New York and then I saw her guitar case and the other instrument cases and loudly, oh, trying to please the lads around me, asked half-mockingly, uh, have you played Carnegie Hall? They had. Embarrassed by my own comments, yet I was delighted for their success. Now, household names, shows on Broadway. The bar is very high now for college-educated, ambitious young Irish graduates. Some look for postgraduate opportunities anywhere. Abroad is just another opportunity. They work in Dubai, Brussels, New York, hen and stag do's in Prague, wedding at home or Bali. Yes, Bali for some. Work in New York is often another challenge, another opportunity. And here's the rub. To this new mobile generation, Ireland is still home. But no plans to go back. Uh, not yet. N not just yet. 
opportunities in the new New York. She loves the challenge, the constant buzz, what she calls uh, the 24-7 of New York, the city that never sleeps. A real contrast to her rural Ireland upbringing. Her husband is a stockbroker and at his desk in New York by 6am, which means a very, very early morning train. But they get to Ireland not only for holidays, but also for weddings and parties. Cheaper, long distance, numerous and flexible routes make coming and going over and back seem commonplace. A new version of Comely Maidens Dancing at the Crossroads. A transatlantic crossroads. They hardly see themselves as comely maidens. Dancing, certainly. FaceTime on Saturdays with the family in Leitrim. Instagram captures the excitement. Email to the estate agents in Manor Hamilton, managing the home. It's a house for now. It, it, they plan it to be home. They bought during their last holiday, back home to Leitrim, to home. Facebook gives the day-to-day -day of what's happening to friends. Irish Times Online feels that they're in touch. They are. It's Monday. Morning has broken in New York. Early morning. She's on the platform. Laptop and phone charged. Same spot daily. Already ready. Secure. Heading for Wall Street. To the bank. Coffee to go. Ready. Enjoyed the week in Leitrim.